also with the colonizing yoga, learning that yoga is a form of rest for resistance. There is no doubt that you can live your passion and be economically stable. In this day and age, we all have the power to shape our own life. The only thing in question is how you get there. Nobody Comes Here to Hide shares the stories of thriving Black creatives living their passion. By listening to their journeys, you can envision your own. Their stories showcase the many ways to achieve one's dreams because your journey to success is rarely what you'd imagine. Hey, today I have with me Al Rare, who is an artist based in Philly. Also, they are a health slash mindfulness coach, um, a level one herbalist, and they have their 200-hour yoga certification. Hi. Hey. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) My awkward. Hey. (laughs) It's okay. It's really hard to start these things. Um, I think what I'm going to try and do is just start recording immediately and then just catch like the middle of a sentence. I think that's the perfect intro. (laughs) Yeah. Are we going to start over? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how are you doing? I am. I am honestly okay. Yeah. Um, How are you? I am. I'm doing good. I'm currently just been working more on creative things. Um, so, um, I, as you know, I teach yoga. You find each other on Instagram, and um, yeah. So, I a lot of my yoga events and a lot of what I do has to focuses on like people coming together. So, yeah. this is like a big like. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, with that though, I also was kind of. Although coming into kind of a realization that I was teaching yoga, but I wasn't teaching yoga per se to like my my niche, you know, like my niche uh-huh. group of people mm-hmm. and or my niche. I think I think it depends on the human niche niche. But um, anyways, I wasn't really like focusing on that, and so like that was causing me a lot of un- not unhappiness, but just a lot of like I felt like. I wasn't really like fully embodying like the practice as much as I could, like when I would teach like a POC based class versus yeah. like teaching yoga at like a gym or a studio downtown. And, um, you know, like both are very, you know, like both are great places and it really depends on like also like where you're working and who you work with. But I've learned that like, for me, I need to work with the more, I like to work more with like the poor demographic, but also more with the marginalized folks, also more with like people who, you know, they can't get into a normal yoga studio or who don't normally fit in because I was that person. Yeah, I really resonate with that. I think, yeah, I think this is a really interesting moment in history um, outside of the pandemic, just because this is a moment where it's so easy to turn a what could be just a hobby into something that like financially supports you, Um, Mm -hmm. which I have some qualms about like personally in terms of like, then where's the space? If we, I don't know. I think that if for me at least, when there's this concept or this idea that I could be monetizing for instance, painting or dancing, then I think mm-hmm. my brain 
starts to move towards, oh, so then how do I do this? What is the marketable aspect of this? And then it's like, how much am I censoring the art if I had like more of a pure mindset behind it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So even with, and I like what you're saying too, because a lot of artists um, that I speak to now even mm-hmm. are dealing with that um, where they feel that, yeah, like, we're in a time where like it sucks to have a job like we already know that like you're not making enough money um working hourly depending on where you work like if you get into like you know one of those really good paying jobs awesome but like most of the jobs out there are very like low paying so um as artists you know like I feel that now it's kind of a a point where like we want to share our art and put it out there but inflation has caused art to cost a lot more where like you know like you know for what people are offering for you know sometimes five hundred dollars for a piece and they put in five hundred dollars worth of work you know it's just like it's hard to balance that you know so then only like people that can afford five hundred dollar piece of art have your art in their house and it's like did your art though speak to the people that you want it to speak to and that's really um interesting I think that having sliding scale um, options, even with art, if you can afford it, it helps to to, to like bring it to a less uh, a less kind of like classist um, esque form of capitalism, and it's more like classless, where like anyone can kind of afford to have this art, and if they can't have this piece then maybe you have like a, a print that you can offer maybe or something, mm-hmm. some way that someone that really needs this piece of art can also have a piece of it. And so I do that with my yoga sliding scale, I found is like a good way to go. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, both for accessing the audience that you actually care about, like the demographic, um, and also for other artists mm-hmm. who who are trying to share, but also have to, you know, put food in their mouths. Yeah, it's it's a hard time right now, <laughs> even with that. Let's get some context. Yes. <laughs> How did you get into yoga? So I got into yoga um, in 2014. Um I was in a very abusive relationship and um, I really needed to kind of discover um, myself. And, you know, there were there were many options at the time. <laughs> there were, you know, I was in college at the time. I was like 20, mm-hmm. 21 when I first um, found out about like, you know, like the deep healing benefits of yoga. Actually, no, I'm lying. I was actually 16. I did P90X, um, which is like a home-based workout. My yeah. stepdad at the time um, had it. And um, in the P90X, yeah, he had a yoga class. And out of all of the workouts, like plyometrics, everything, it was the hardest class. And I didn't understand why. Like, we weren't doing a lot. We were just moving very slowly and mindfully. I mean, there were, like, parts. There was a lot of core things where there was like a little bit more faster movements, but it was just like stretching to me. And I was just like, why is it so hard to stretch? I kind of took a pause though, you know, cause I was like growing into myself, graduated college, went through a lot of ups and downs kind of just in my 
life in Providence, Rhode Island. That was where I kind of dove more into the yoga. Um, and I dove into like this book called um, Yoga Anatomy. And basically mm -hmm. in this Yoga Anatomy book, um, it's basically just a book with a whole bunch of pictures. And I would just go in the park and sit there and I would look at the pictures and be like, okay, I'm just going to do these stretches. And I was sitting in the sun. I remember my friends, I started to notice just how like devoted I became to like going to the park every day. And I was researching and just, I was just like, whoa, like this stuff is like really good for you. And like, it feels really good. This is before I dealt or I kind of unpacked a lot of my own anti-blackness that was kind of instilled upon me growing up. Yeah, it was very life-changing though to dive into yoga and also dive into like healing with whole foods, um, healing my body and, you know, learning that there are many alternatives to, you know, like toxic medicine. Yeah, thanks. Something I want to touch upon is like this community that you brought up. Um, but something that has really kept me from yoga mm. is the population that I see speaking the loudest about yoga. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm really interested. I think somewhere on your website, yeah. on Instagram, you talk about decolonizing yoga. And I'd love for you to get into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, that's awesome. That really ties into where the story is going to. Like I'm learning all about anti-blackness. So yeah, I had mm -hmm. all of these white people around me and we were doing like psychedelics. And like, that was like one way to like, find like a deeper connection to like myself and I was unpacking so much trauma but like around all these white people I didn't understand mm -hmm. what was happening and there was so much fear and there was so much like trust that I just didn't have you know and I didn't understand where it was coming from and it was deep it was it was very very deep um and so from that I basically dove more into um the universe kind of like shifted me out of that friend group and I found myself alone and it was kind of weird like I found myself alone I left um Boston or I left Providence and I went up to Boston and at this point like I already had like my skincare business going on um and I had already um took an herbalist certification in Providence so I kind of like created like that base of like this is like what I want to do and these are like people I want to help um but then from there, there was just like a need for finding like like the people that I really need to like help out. I started to, you know, do some research and started to kind of dig deeper into myself. And through that, um, I left Providence, went to Boston, and I started connecting with the queer community in Boston. Um, and in Boston, it was it was just like a huge shift. You know, I moved to Boston. I was like, I don't really know too much about yoga. I taught something to my friends in Rhode Island. You know, I taught a few classes. I, I kind of like worked my way up um, in Rhode Island to like get like a little key in a studio, but I still wasn't certified. So it was really hard to like, you know, um, it was hard to just exist or to like show all of the white folks that I belong in their studios and that's how it felt you know I just felt like I was always like trying to and I still feel that way sometimes now like I'm trying to like show people that I belong in their studios and that like I am like a great fit 
And it's just like, are they a good fit for me? You know, like, where's that balance? And that's um, when I started to really dive into the colonizing yoga, when I realized that like, I like, but like all of, a lot of this, a lot of these teachings are coming from us, you know, from black and brown people. And just because people came from India and wanted to share it here with the white people for money, which I've seen, you know, I've seen all these guru things on Netflix. I get really upset sometimes because, wow, there's a lot of damage that's been done here with yoga. And yeah, it's hard to go to those yoga festivals. Like I'll tell you, I've been to so many different events and spaces where I don't fit. And part of the colonizing yoga is making my, making my own, like taking my own fucking tools and making my own table and saying, hey, anyone else like me want to come sit down? Anyone want to come have a conversation about like how I feel left out here? Or anybody want to, you know, anybody want to have a real heart to heart? And, you know, I've learned that the, I've learned that through communication, coming from a place where I'm okay to, you know, have these conversations too, because you need to make sure that like you're, you're taken care of. Like you can't be out here teaching white folks how to be good white folks. And they're not like compensating you, promoting you. They're not, you know, doing something for you in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, context because we've given so much for them. We've built this whole infrastructure. A lot of the ways that they make all of their money, you know, comes off of our backs here in America. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> so we can't be just giving everything that we have away, you know? And so with that, I've learned like the balance too. Like, all right, like I'm going to tell people who I know are actually going to listen to me and I'm actually going to be heard. And, you know, I'm going to talk to these people because those white folks talk to the other white folks who can't listen to me, who don't understand what the fuck I'm saying. But, and sorry if I'm cursing on the podcast, you don't understand what the heck I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) But um, also with the colonizing yoga, learning that yoga is a form of rest for resistance where like, you know, we, I'm offering rest. I'm offering a a connection deep within you where you are finding a way to resist against the system, you know, and it's not me like brainwashing you. It's just me teaching you about who you really are and like your power and just not even teaching you, reminding you really, because you already learned these things. So just a re- remembrance of who you are. And it's such a beautiful thing to dive into that because <laughs> there's just so much power in changing yourself because it's really hard to change the world. But through changing ourselves, I think that it has an effect on other people. You know, That is my goal with decolonizing yoga and how I got into it, really just being surrounded by a bunch of people who you know they're alming and they're taking up space and they're mm-hmm. sweating all over and near me and they're touching me and it can be a lot and so like yeah I want to and I'm working to actually um create more POC spaces in the yoga um world so much of what she said is just centered around like conversation almost or just really like being there Because I think the whole purpose of this Mm -hmm. podcast and the reason that I wanted to start it is because the things that I'm interested in right now on the internet, I have to dig really, really hard to find people who look like me that are talking about it. 
And it's not because there's a shortage of like black biohackers. So yeah, I think so much of what you said, especially about like going to the festival and just being the one person who's there for that other one person who's coming is like so valuable. Yeah, yeah. you never know. And that's something really cool because like I made my yoga journey. Now that like I'm really sitting here and thinking about it, I'm like, whoa, this journey is like long. And like, I still feel like I'm in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> What I was going to say is just like, yeah, in the beginning of it, I would just sit at the park. I would just sit at the park, you know, I would just sit and I would make posts online. And this is like where my marketing started. I didn't take really, I took like a few marketing classes actually um, in my beginning, in my like freshman year of uh, college. And like, I felt really cool. It's like, I'm going to this university. Cool. Like, that's when I started my skincare business in college. Um, I was just like, sitting there and I took this marketing class and I was just like really over school and just tired of it and just tired of how much money it was costing and tired of just all these exams and going to school early and dealing with all the stuff. I was like, this is never going to end. So (laughs) I took that herbalism course um, out in Providence, Rhode Island, and it was out of white states. And I learned herbalism from, you know, a white person. And that was that was what was offered for to me up there in Rhode Island. You know, like that was what I found. And I didn't I it what's really interesting to me though is how like the person and I'm not gonna mention any names on the podcast, but the person that like ran the program, they got like offended when I like graduated and said I was a certified herbalist and I had like my little certificate, mm-hmm. which I still have and I hang and I I'm proud of daily just because of all of the work that I put into like that was like the first like that was like my first like diploma that I actually really like cared about you know like yeah I did high school cool I gave that to my mom I don't even know if she still has my high school diploma (laughs) she probably does but you know I really kept the herbalism certificate because it just I walked there like every day in the winter I remember I would walk all the way and go and take the class and you know, and I put in so much effort and there were times where I thought I couldn't afford it and I had to pay it off. And it was like my first time, like really working with money and, you know, like I really like Providence really pushed me as an entrepreneur and really pushed me into the hustle, like the hustler that I am today, weirdly, you know, I grew up in New York and like, I grew up by like a Brooklyn mother and yeah. So I, I just like would go there every day and to have her kind of like slash me because I said I was like a certified herbalist and her also being a white person, it was just like a lot. And it like, you know, like when you have someone like taught you something and they're like your teacher and then like, it's just weird. Like the connection that I have with like my white like teachers and, and it's kind of a similar experience I found with like my yoga studio too, that I graduated with in Richmond. You know, it was a white studio. Everyone was white there. I was the only uh, black and brown and queer person there. And part of my decolonizing yoga with that studio was I demanded that, you know, I do it. And I just, like, worked so hard. And I was like, hey, y'all, like, I don't have enough money for all this. Like, this is how much money I can give you. I think I told them, like, it was like, I think they took, like, money off, you know, like, just for me reaching out and saying that. Um, And it took a lot of just, like, me biking there every day. 
So I put so much work and effort just to get where I am now. And, you know, there's still like, I don't know how to explain it, but there's still like people that will doubt me or there's still people who, you know, don't take me seriously because I'm not a white person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've found that it's not even worth my energy to like, to like even try to make those people happy anymore, like make them believe in me because it's not, I'm not here to teach yoga for them. I'm here to teach yoga for folks, you know, that feel and that have experiences like me where they just feel like they don't fit in. Yeah. Can I ask what role, if any, does isolation play in your yoga practice? Do you mean like holding things in isolation or being alone? Being alone. Interesting. So... (laughs) What role does isolation play in my yoga practice? Well, when I first dove into um, a lot of my practice, yeah, I was alone, um, mostly guided by music um, and just kind of like a lot of hip openers. And being alone, I think that you have more space to let go. So I think isolation is really important, um, at least for my practice in the beginning. And even now, every day, you know, like having that moment to yourself if it's just 10 minutes a day just to be with yourself and um I think that creates more space for me to be around like my roommates and other people so I think isolation with yoga has taught me how to be that person that can you know show up for other people because like showed up from I've shown up for myself today absolutely (laughs) what's your current routine with yoga like do you do it every day or multiple times a day or Okay, so my routine with yoga is still being found. I think that as we change as a person, our routines change. Mm -hmm. And so I've moved to Philly, and I've 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 still like have yet to kind of build a solid routine for myself. But I'm finding now in my studies that I need to do more yoga before bed. So I like doing like a nighttime routine um and generally just listening to my body I still love like having guidance I think that even though you're a teacher you that doesn't mean that you just have to sit in your room and teach yourself yoga and you have to be the best and no like screw Mm -hmm. that I'll sit right on my I'll sit right at home right now I have a subscription where I have all these teachers and I get to like learn from them all the time and so like with that and I've learned this from my studio too, because I watched what they were doing there. When they would train all of us, they would also take in like what we brought and like the things that they loved and they would bring it into their teaching. And that's like, I think that's like really remarkable. Like, like, yeah, like looking at what other people have, looking at diversity. And so like, I think that with my routine, it's um, also like just allowing new teachers in and changing my seat from like student to teacher and, you know, being okay with that. And, like being okay with not being in control because I think that as a teacher, you get into that control freak mindset sometimes. Yeah, yeah I think that's <laughs> in the same vein of what you were saying, where when you're with another person, you can sometimes get into like groupthink, but when you're only listening to yourself, like you're missing so many possible perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's and, and sometimes your mind is like not nice. Like sometimes. You know, you you have a mindfulness practice, but it's a practice. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, this person is this person is 
meditating and they're always like that like no (laughs) they live they go through life and i think the first thing that people need to do with any of their like gurus is to like take that pedestal that they're on and kick it and let them fall and see them for the person that they really are and not literally like kicking their stool people but like (laughs) (laughs) just knowing that like any person that you put on a pedestal they're gonna fall and um I think that yeah with with yoga and being a teacher sometimes we put our own selves on pedestals you know like mm-hmm. we're like we have to be the best and oh no I was taught that class and I don't know if I did this right or that right and I've had so many classes like that and it's just like you know what just go in there give it your all what's the best part is that you showed up you know someone else showed up you offered some healing you have a very non-stressful job at times (laughs) it can be a little stressful if you make it that way but yeah I'm just like seeing like the good of it because I think we get so lost in the bad sometimes too Mm -hmm. even even yoga teachers you know we're we're all figuring it out I think the people that teach yoga are the ones that you know need the yoga I think the most Hmm. kind of like a therapist definitely needs a therapist Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah when I started I can't tell you how tired I was when I was teaching like 14 classes a week when I first moved to Philly I moved wow. to Philly and I hit the ball running it was like all right and then Philly and then yeah I moved here and I started teaching like with kids like I got a job like right away um, and it was a weird job and I quit that job and I started teaching yoga and then I got a job at the gym then I just started, then I got a job at the studio, like locally over here in West Philly called Studio 34, mm-hmm. um, which I consider like my home studio now. But yeah, and then like I just started teaching like so many classes, like all over the city, different places, you know, Amrita Yoga, all these different studios. And it kind of got the, the, the way that I used to teach yoga, like I used to do like once, twice a week, maybe donation based. It was chill. It was not like the way that I made it, you know, like all about like hustle, bustle, here we go. Inhale, exhale. Like it just became um I don't know how to explain it, just like motionless, like zombie like, like robotic. And so also now in my practice and even like with my one on ones, I'm practicing more just on like being myself in the class and like like what does that mean? Like and like I actually love yoga teachers that just like curse in the class so they say fuck yeah or they like you know whatever yeah. like it's funny and I'm yeah. always like what are they doing but like they're being themselves and they're being free and I feel like sometimes in yoga there's like this weird box and constricting thing that like our sh- like the teachers are like very like you know they're not free to be themselves and so when I see any I'm so attracted to freedom like when I see freedom I'm just like wow I love it I love that you know, and so mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that, um, yeah, just being more free because I, I feel that as a person of color, I always had to like really make sure I fit into those boxes, make sure my alignment cues are on point, make sure that I'm keeping these people what they're asking for, you know, make sure I'm not touching Susie because Susie doesn't want to be touched. Like, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And those things are very important, but also it's like, hey, like maybe don't touch anyone, you know, just be yourself. Yeah. If you don't, you don't got to touch anyone, you know, if that's not <laughs> your thing, don't do it. Or if you love touching people, then like tell the people that don't want to be touched to go to a certain part of the room. So you remember that you just love touching everyone. You know, there's like little things like that, I think, that help. Um, What element do you think you would bend? What element would I bend? 
Yeah. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was metal. I don't know why. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but then part of me was like, I wonder if is is what would would metal be considered an element though? Yeah. It's kind of in the earth category. Fire? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think all right, so now I'm gonna really dive into that. I think okay. yeah, like earth and fire. I think metal is like an earth and fire kind of thing. So I think I'd be like an earth and fire type person. Wow. Because I love like the grounding qualities of the earth, but I have mm-hmm. that energy when I'm just like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm still learning more about water and the emotions and wind. I don't really understand her. The reason I asked <laughs> is because you the- kept saying freedom and to me like that's what air is. Like the personality of an airbender maybe, maybe is that's like why I'm so attracted. <laughs> How do you, speaking of emotions, how do you see your emotions manifesting through your work? Um, so it, my emotions definitely manifest through my, um, my skincare, um, just because like the name and the, the like the jar, like all of like the jars, like in a, it's like in a ball jar container, mm-hmm. but, um, the label is like, we have like these silver matted labels um, that kind of match like the ball jar tops and the name um, is Coco Dream Butter. And so just inspiring people like about the dream, you know, and putting just the word dream there, like I could just put cocoa butter, but mm-hmm. adding the word dream there is just like showing people my emotion um, of being like a dreamy person. So I have like a very like dreamy, I'm very like, like I, I don't even know if dream would be an emotion. Yeah, I guess it could be. Maybe. Yeah. I'm going to say it is. Like, just that, like, that flowy kind of, you know, just, like, going with the flow, but also just, like, feeling like you're, I think that does have a lot to do with air, and so it's so interesting that I don't understand her, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, maybe I love air so much, and that's why I don't understand it, or I'm so, like, connected to the air, so you have me, like, I'm going to study some air stuff later, but, yeah, I think that, um, <laughs> I think that um, in my yoga practice, um, you know, my emotions of like the dreaminess also comes out too, just in like, you know, I like to teach a more like trauma-informed-esque class where um, there's just a lot more healing offered. And I haven't yet taken a trauma-informed training, um, but still like I, my yoga that I've done for myself has really been to heal my own trauma. Mm-hmm. And so from healing my own trauma, it, it helps me to be able to hold space for other people to heal theirs. That's it. I like that question. <laughs> Thank you. Something you mentioned in our messages uh, was that you did yoga with your mom. And I'm like thinking about like traumas and like generational trauma, how we can tie everything truly to everything else. What is it like to incorporate your loved ones in this practice? Oh my. <laughs> well, it depends on who. So when I bring in my mother, um, God, my mother actually supported me in getting certified. Um, they helped me to afford it. Um, yeah, they put down a lot of money to help mm-hmm. me get that. Um just they saw just how they just seen how interested and invested I've been in it. And you know, they finally we finally bridged that gap of like, you know, we had so much happening where like I was queer and like she was like okay with it, but like she was weird about it. And then she was just like okay about it, but she didn't want to hear about my people I was with. 
and I was like and I like you know that really hurt my heart and then like it took some time but now we've just grown um we've had a lot of falling outs but we've grown to just create a relationship and we started doing yoga and healing together and it just felt so good to like for the first time in my life I saw my mother just like chill the fuck out you know because she's just <laughs> always raging and always like full of energy and always angry and I'm just like whoa like I've never seen my mom just like breathing I'm just like whoa like, look at my mom just so chill like this person needs to be like the craziest person in the world to me you know she's just like chilling yeah. <laughs> and breathing <laughs> and if you give if you give things time and if you just keep doing what you love and allow, you know, allow people to come back to you. My mother taking the seat of being like a student and like, you know, I grew up and she's like, you're a child, stay in a child's place, blah, blah, blah. Everything you say doesn't matter because I'm the parent. But that's just how she was raised. But like mm-hmm. now to see her like taking advice from me, it just helps. It just helps my self-esteem, I guess, as a human. It helps me to heal from all of that trauma from being a kid. That reminds me of something you said earlier about um, rest. And I think that that's something that we're losing touch with more and more as a society, just that we don't have to be constantly doing something and specifically Mm -hmm. doing something that's worth sharing on social media, for instance, or even generally, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So like growing up with like watching technology kind of advance and like this weird way where like we're all like really attached to it now is interesting we always have to be on our phone it seems um you know if we're doing something live or we'll do things live some people will just sit on live and just live their life (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it's interesting and I think that there's good and bad to it you know I think that as like a performer it's great to have like instantly access to people to like have have like eyes on me or as a yoga teacher it's great to have that opportunity to like share my classes but also it can be toxic where like I feel like oh I'm, I'm making music right now and this sounds really good maybe I should record it and put yeah it and I think there's a balance too like some like QT pod talk my podcast stemmed from a conversation I had with a person named Dom um and they basically are doing, um, I think it's called QT Pock, um, Rest for Resist, or QT Pock, ah, QT Pock Mental Health, there it is, bam. QT Pock mm-hmm. Mental Health, um, they basically, uh, we had a talk about yoga and capitalism, first episode of the podcast, and yeah, I was just like, that's what, well, basically our conversation is what caused the podcast to be formed, um, that first episode. And, like, it helped a lot of white folk, though, like, see, like, what we're experiencing. And, like, also a lot of people like us, though, could relate. So it was, like, a a win-win. And we also weren't exhausted because we weren't, like, sitting in front of white folks and being drained with extra questions after we explained to them what the fuck they don't need to do anymore. So Uh it's, like, cool. Like, maybe this is, like, what I should do. It can help you know, bridge the gap between media and queer trans artists um, of color. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's get into the lightning round. Woo! (laughs) 
before I was saying cacao, but then the last person I interviewed was like, she thought I was talking about chocolate. So now I think I can't say that anymore. I don't know. Oh, is it a cacao round? <laughs> is, that, is that what it used to be called? No, it was a lightning round. I just would have, I w- just would say cacao beforehand as an Why? onomatopoeia of lightning. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. <laughs> okay, so clearly it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if three people don't get it, then, you know. I'm going to try it maybe five more times. Oh, and then yeah. <laughs> And then I'll decide. You okay. lost me. Once you said cacao, there's just a big question mark. All right, lightning <laughs> round. I'm ready. <laughs> what is your favorite yoga position? Cow licking face pose. Um, that's basically where you stack both. You like your knees are stacked, and your heels come out to the sides, and you like sit back. So like you like you like kind of stack your knees, and you turn your feet out to the sides, and you sit back. Uh, it's so nice. And then I also love uh, child pose. And there's mm-hmm. also down dog so good. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite herb? Herb. Herb. My favorite herb. <laughs> <laughs> I like no it's like uh it's like the other word I was saying earlier yeah. my favorite herb <laughs> so I think my favorite herb I really like lang lang um <gasps> lang lang is like this yeah it's really nice I think it smells like bubble gum I don't know why I mm. love the smell of it it's really good for like your heart chakra and love and I have like you know a lot of trust issues just from my upbringing so connecting to my heart yeah I make like my own lotions and my own hair products um just because I really like getting my hands in things um and when I was in high school I was looking at the like essential oils that were available in whatever the shop actually I'm gonna shout them out Terra Essentials in Frederick Maryland well done I saw Lang Lang and I read like it was like its main property is centralizing and my little high school brain was like oh perfect (laughs) 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 will you paint a picture of like perfect environment to do yoga Hmm. for me my perfect environment is gonna have like all right so there's a there's a sun setting in the background and there's Uh waves there's sand there's a little like there's like a little like hard surface place with like wood and some vines and then um you can kind of see through it though you can see it's like kind of like a almost like a gazebo but it's square because I like square shapes mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean it could be a circle class but you can see as many mats <laughs> and then um and then there's just the wind blowing like not too much, but not too not too little. And the weather has to be perfect because we're outside. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to say it's like an, an 80 degree weather day at like 5.30 p.m. The sun's coming down and we're just out there chilling. Yeah. What are you wearing? Me? Yeah. Not right now. I, I mean, in wearing... this setting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. I am wearing, I generally just wear like my little shorts and that's probably just it. It's my little shorts and that's it. And maybe a little headband. Um, mm. Okay. Do you want to do plugs? Oh yeah. 
All right. Are y'all ready? Y'all better get a pen and paper. Here we go. All right. For yoga events, um, yoga with owl on Instagram. Um, that's pretty self-explanatory. Owl, like the bird, O-W-L. And on there, I basically share most of my events that I'm doing, um, whether they're on Facebook Live or Instagram Live at the moment due to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find me on Instagram under Owl Rare. So Rare, like the steak, Owl, like the bird, Owl Rare. Um, and basically on there, that's kind of like my more personal um, account, a little bit more risque things happening there. You'll see some of my performance work. Um, I am in a burlesque troupe out here in Philly called Raspberry Royale. So you can check them out um, on Facebook as well. Um, we just did a show recently. If you want to check out some of my performing on there, you can actually purchase this full show and you get like a gift from the crew. As for skincare and our Etsy, you can find us as Wanderlust uh, Skin. Um, I believe that's Wanderlust Skin for You. Yeah, Wanderlust Skin for You on Etsy. Um, also, an easier way to find us, though, is just go on Facebook and just put in Wanderlust Skincare. And you'll see the little owl um, flying over the moon logo, and that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, I found someone else that has Wanderlust Skincare, um, but they're like in California. So watch out for that. There's two of us, but I am the owl one. And then I think that's. That's pretty much mostly um, the plugs for that stuff. My website is adventureswithowl.com, and there's links to all of my work on there, too. My portfolio is there. And then I have a podcast called QT POC Talks on Spotify and all the major networks. Um, that definitely could use some more love and support from folks. I think that's all. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing space with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was was a fun time. (laughs) Good. (laughs) All right, I hope you have a good rest of your (laughs) evening. Thank you, you too. Thanks for taking the time to interview me. And stay safe out here. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I'll do my best. Mm -hmm. Hello, welcome to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you. I hope that you got something out of this. And if you learned something, if you laughed, if you even just like my energy, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. That will really help for this podcast and this community to grow. That helps me get more guests. And it means I can give you more of this delicious content. Much love, Athena Sayaka.